1: We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers and Roberts and Annabelles. I'm Dan.
2: Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. Dan, I feel so good. I know you're I know you back to
1: full speed. I love it.
2: Ah, I'm so excited to do this show today because I feel like, oh, I'm here. I'm doing
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, you're back. You're back. All right. I love it.
2: Air claps. <laughs>
1: Air claps.
2: Not to blow out anyone's ears.
1: And, and also, not that we would comment on it anyway, but I just thought of this, like, recording this advance again, and we don't know about the election. Not, yeah. n- not that we need to count, but just, just so you know, like, oh, they didn't even mention it. Well, Wait, we don't I, know what's going on.
2: Can I tell you the funniest thing that I posted? Yeah. I don't know if everyone follows me on social media, and you don't yeah. have to, but like, of course, you know, like, I have a little bit of a following, and it feels like there's pressure to have an obligatory um, election day post. Yeah, And so I had seen this post that I thought was so funny. It says, like, I wish that I could run for office so that people could dig up scandalous shit on me so I can piece together my 20s Ah, that's, that's a really good like, one that's great that that's, is good yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, very cool scared to death list tea in the store at badmagicmerch.com uh, demons ghosts alien abductions black eyed children shadow people possessions cursed dolls cryptids and crystals all the things we do here all the things and then uh, very excited for our first donation announcement in honor of Veterans Day. We're making I love,
2: a, I love giving away money. We're
1: making a Bad Magic Productions donation of $10,000 uh, to veteransfoodpantry.org this month. Dan,
2: $10,000.
1: I know. It's exciting. It's oh very my God. exciting. I want to
2: talk more about how we got to that point at the end of the show. Okay.
1: So this money comes from the combination of the Time Suck and Scared to Death patrons. Uh, we've been doing this for a few years on Time Suck. So happy to be doing it here as well now. Thank you, Roberts and Annabelle's. Alan and Linda Erickson founded the Northwest Montana Veterans Pantry and Stand Down over 20 years ago to serve the veteran community of the Flathead Valley in northwest region of Montana. They've expanded their operations to include a variety of other veteran services, and we know about them because their son Robbie is a bandmate of our producer Joe Paisley. Woo! Yay, Ye- Moretta. And he has helped out our podcast in a variety of ways the last few years. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, VeteransFoodPantry.org, for what you do. Thank you to all the active and former military for all that you do and the sacrifices you've made and make. And also respect to military members in nations outside the U.S., the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, and more. Everywhere we have uh, creeps and peepers, Uh, we respect uh, all you guys and gals. And that's it. So link to veteransfoodpantry.org in the episode description, and I burned through the announcements as promised last week.
2: Good job. I, I love <laughs> that um, we unintentionally are both using Black Rifle, rifle coffee mugs. Yeah, they're
1: just because they Ta- black.
2: Well, we're talking about Veterans Day, and this oh. is a veteran-owned and operated company.
1: It was absolutely. It was intentional.
2: It was, yay! yay. yay. I thought of, we thought of this for sure. <laughs> Their coffee, Dan drinks it religiously.
1: I know. I drank some too late last night. Oh, no. And I, yeah, had trouble sleeping. These little, like... Fired me up. Uh mm-hmm. those little uh, uh, pre-made uh, mochas
2: Oh man. Oh Nilly! What would happen if I had one?
1: Uh, I, no one wants to see it. <laughs> You'd you'd be hovering.
2: Joe Paisley wants to see You'd be floating. Dude, Joe loves when I'm hopped up on caffeine. He finds it so entertaining.
1: (laughs) All right. How many stories today do you have? You have two stories. I have two stories as well. Two ladies to talk about today. The first lady, the brown lady of Rainham Hall.
2: The brown lady?
1: She's wearing a brown dress.
2: Oh, I was like, that's a weird way to talk about her skin tone.
1: (laughs) No, that's the way she's referred to because of her dress. (laughs) I know. And I put a note in there so I would know that uh, because I was like, that's kind of weird too. Uh, Comes from England. Uh, The story of a ghost that for a time was England's most famous, most talked about ghost... She went viral in a way uh, before the internet, long okay. before. Second story is insane. One of the craziest stories we've had that I've told. Uh, okay. It comes from Malaysia. It's our first one from Malaysia, really out there, but scary if you can suspend some disbelief and let yourself, you know, get into some local folklore okay. and, and a possible encounter. Fun. Really gory lady. Mm. So not much setup on this first story. Okay. So you're gonna need to get ready and comfy quick.
2: Okay. Oh Well, um, I have to show off my very bright yellow socks that are fuzzy, and these are so special to me because they came from our friends Amy and Jamie in Nashville. Aww. They sent me the cutest Get Well box, and it had fuzzy socks inside.
1: That's awesome. That's
2: was so great. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. Okay, Captain Pravand and Inder Shira stepped out of their car and into the bright sunlight. An enormous country house. Rainham Hall towered above them. They were photographers on assignment for a magazine called Country Life, charged with capturing the majesty of the 400-year-old majestic manor for that month's feature. One of the most splendid houses in all of Norfolk, Raynham Hall was built in 1622 and has been the seat of the Townshead family ever since. The two photographers walked up the long driveway and were welcomed by a friendly house manager. The house manager showed them the estate's extensive gardens and various buildings, and then finally inside the main house itself. And the photographers knew they needed to get a picture of Raynham Hall's grand staircase. It would be the centerpiece photograph of their feature. Time now for the brown lady Raynham Hall they set up in the front entrance and took the first shot Provand put his head under the small curtain they were using an old-fashioned glass plate camera cool. and then Shira flashed a light on the staircase after taking the first two photos while Provand was focusing for a third Shira saw it a veiled spectral figure walking down the stairs towards them Shira called out sharply quick quick there's something he flashed a light and pravand clicked the shutter closed. Pravan removed the cloth from his head and turned to Shira. What's all the excitement about, he asked. Shira was sure that he had just seen the brown lady of Raynham Hall, the infamous spirit in the brown dress, and maybe, just maybe, that they'd gotten a picture of her. At the close of the workday, they packed up and drove back to London. Shira couldn't wait uh, to get what he'd seen out of his head. The misty figure, the, the veils trailing down the staircase, the way his heart had started hammering in his chest when he saw her. For a brief moment, he'd been terrified, even though he was never in any physical danger. At least he didn't think he'd been in any physical danger. When he took all this to Pravan, Pravan rolled his eyes, or told all this. It was impossible, he argued, to obtain an authentic ghost photograph. Pravan had been taking pictures of grand houses for over 30 years. He ought to know. Sheer was convinced by the senior ph- photographer's skepticism that maybe, maybe I guess he hadn't seen anything. Sheer didn't have Pravan's experience or technical skill. But then the more he thought about it, he's like, no, I, he knew what he'd seen. And it's not like he'd been hoping to see a ghost. He'd heard the stories, but he was a skeptic. He actually had no interest in psychic or paranormal phenomena, and then it just happened. He'd felt something, and he'd seen her. Provand was so sure that they hadn't, in fact, seen anything, he made his assistant a wager. I'll bet you five pounds, he said, that there's nothing unusual on the negative when it's developed. Sheer accepted. The next day they went into the dark room to develop the negatives. One after the other, Pravan placed the films in the developer and the image appeared beneath. They did the photos of the grounds, the photos of the exterior, and then the photo of the staircase. And sure enough, she was there.
2: Wow!
1: Pravan couldn't believe it. Good Lord, he exclaimed. There's something on the staircase negative after all. He was happy to lose the money. He was amazed by the photo. Shear took one glance at the negative and told Pravon to hold on. He dashed downstairs to the chemist, Mr. Benjamin Jones, the manager of Blake, Sanford, and Blake, whose shop was beneath the studio. Shearer asked Mr. Jones to come up to the darkroom, and Mr. Jones, the elderly, experienced scientist, did so. Jones peered at the negative just as it had been placed or taken from the developer and placed in the next step, a hypobath. And he said years later... If I had not seen for myself the negative being fixed, I would not believe in the genuineness of the photograph. There on paper was the infamous brown lady of Raynham Hall, an entity others had been witnessing for centuries, and I will show that photo later. For over 400 years, as I mentioned earlier, Raynham Hall had been the seat of the Townshead family. In 1713, Charles Townshead, the second Viscount Townshead, married Dorothy Walpole. The sister of England's first prime minister, Robert Walpole. Dorothy was a beautiful and charming woman whose fondness for pretty clothes verged on the extravagant. That may have led to her serious differences with her husband, who was known as Turnip Townshead, who randomly introduced that vegetable to England. Also revolutionized crop rotation. He was a man far more interested in agriculture than pomp and circumstance. And it was rumored that early in their marriage, there was a lot of discord, a lot of fighting and a lot of speculation as to why. It was Charles' second marriage, and rumor had it that Dorothy had once been the mistress of Lord Wharton, a man known to have taken many mistresses. Any woman associated with him was regarded with scorn, those being the unfair sexist standards of the day. And it's believed that Charles discovered Dorothy's sordid past in 1725, and he was furious. And then a short time later, he supposedly caught Dorothy in bed with another lover. Ugh. And after this, Charles felt so betrayed, so humiliated, he literally locked Dorothy away in Raynham Hall. He told everyone she had died, and he trussed up a coffin and had a fake burial. What? In reality, according to legend, Dorothy was still alive and being held as a prisoner. She was locked inside a small room, and she suffered months of horrible isolation and possible torture until she died from smallpox in 1726 the following year. Then following her second actual death, people began to see a strange woman in a brown dress roaming the halls of the town's head estate. Colonel Loftus claimed to see her, the first more famous man to have claimed to see her. In 1835, Colonel Loftus was visiting the estate for the Christmas holidays. He'd stayed up late uh, one night drinking and having a good time. And by the time he went back to his room, the house was deserted and the candles had all been blown out. As he walked to his room, he thought he saw someone ahead of him, a woman in a brown dress, and jogged a little to catch up with her. One of his hands reached ahead for hers, and then it just swiped through nothing but air. And then he heard a woman's voice come from the apparition. Please, someone has to come for me. And then everything went black. When he opened his eyes again, it was the next morning, and he was in bed. Weird. He tried to write it off as maybe somehow having dreamed the entire experience, but then a week later, it happened again. Loftus was walking down the hall, completely alone, when again he saw a woman up ahead of him. Her back was to him, but he saw that she was wearing the same satin-brown dress he'd seen before and her skin was glowing with a pale luminescence. And when she turned to him, he saw that where her eyes should have been, there were only two black holes, and blood ran in terrible rivulets down her face. Please, she whispered, and vanished. <sighs> It seemed that after a hundred years, Dorothy was done with invisibility. That Christmas in 1835, she appeared again, this time to several different guests of the manor. Always when they were alone, they each saw her at the end of a hall or just behind them reflected in a mirror. And when they turned around, she begged them to help her and then vanished. Some guests were so disturbed that they left before the holiday festivities ended. Most disturbing, these guests also consistently noticed that she had no eyes. Why? Why? No one knows why they appear to be gouged out. Did she ever have something happen to her in life? One has to wonder. If Charles Towns had convinced everyone that Dorothy was dead, I guess he could have done anything to her. He could have tortured her as much as he liked, punishing her for her indiscretions, and no one would have ever known. A few years later, she was spotted again. The British Royal Navy officer and novelist, Captain Frederick Marriott, a friend of Charles Dickens, was staying at Raynham Hall. A curious and skeptical man by nature, he decided to spend the night in the room in which she was most frequently seen, near the tower in which Dorothy had supposedly been locked for that long, horrible year. He studied a painting of her, but she didn't appear that night, or the next, or the night after that. But then a few days later, Marriott was walking down an upstairs hallway with two friends when they all three suddenly saw her. She was carrying a lantern that seemed to glow with a strange white light. Marriott and his two companions hid behind a door, and then she found them. As she passed by in the hall, she smiled at Marriott, and Marriott felt his stomach turn. Her grin was diabolical, and once again, she had no eyes, just gaping holes where eyes should have been. In a panic, Marriott actually pulled out his pistol and fired at her. (laughs) She vanished, and the bullet lodged in a wall, where visitors can apparently still see it today. Offhandedly, a Townshead woman later remarked how much Frederick Marriott looked like their ancestor, Charles Townshead. Marriott never returned. He didn't know what Dorothy's ghost might do to him if she thought he was the husband who tortured and killed her. A few years before all of this, King George IV also claimed to have seen her when he passed through Raynham Hall on Business. So many sightings. He said that she stood beside his bed wearing a brown dress and that her face was pale and her hair disheveled. Frozen in bed, he could only stare up into the deep holes where her eyes should have been until she disappeared, and then slowly he came out of his paralysis. The Highness de- his Highness declared on that day, I will not pass another hour in this accursed house, for I have seen what I hope to God I may never see again. In 1926, Lady Townshead's uh, own son had a run-in with his ghost. He wouldn't tell anyone exactly what had happened, but he insisted that every portrait that featured Dorothy be removed from the premises at once. Dang. He never spoke of her again, and a couple years later, he left Raynham Hall for good. So on that afternoon in 1936, did Shira and Pravon capture the ghosts of Dorothy in a photograph? The photo was published in Country Life, and in in the January 4th, 1937 issue of Life magazine, it caused a national sensation. Paranormal researcher Harry Price interviewed both the photographer and the assistant, declaring that the negative was entirely innocent of any faking. Have other skeptics questioned the validity of the photo since? Of course. Can anyone prove that it is 100% for sure a forgery? No. And the brown lady of Rainham Hall continues to be witnessed. In the 1960s, the late uh, Marchioness of Townshead, a uh, term for like a, the wife or widow of a marquise, uh, a nobleman ranking below an earl and above a duke or a count, told Dennis Bardens that she'd seen Dorothy several times. Once, her young daughter had come up to her and said she was confused by a lady she met on the staircase. Her daughter said that she could see right through the lady to the <sighs> wall behind her. She said nothing about the eyes or the lack thereof. Did she appear differently? Does she appear differently to different people? No one knows. We also don't know if Shira ever got his five pounds from his bet with Bravande. <laughs> but we do know that they got something far more important than five pounds, arguably the most famous ghost photo in all of England. Proof to many that the brown lady of Raynham Hall is all too real. So two photos. Okay. One is, uh, just get these quick, one is the actual hall itself. It's a beautiful estate. Oh my God. Estate.
2: Can you imagine?
1: I know, it's crazy. Like, I have no idea how much it's worth, but like uh, amazing grounds. And the grounds are huge. I mean, that's just part of the driveway leading up to it. Uh, And then this next photo is the photo that basically went viral.
2: Wow. Wow. Wow, that's so vivid,
1: right? It caused yeah, quite the sensation. And I think I kind of misspoke a little bit there, but it was published in two magazines, from what I understood. Okay, you know the the Country Life, and I, and I th- I think another magazine called Life, unless it was just they were just using shorthand to refer to the same thing. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But whatever, inconsequential detail. The point is this this caused caused you know quite the sensation.
2: Well, I mean, I can see why. Like, oh my God, if I saw that in a photo,
1: mm-hmm. right.
2: So, okay, a couple things about this story. The story actually didn't freak me out. Yeah, it's not the scariest story, but very interesting. Yes, very interesting. And I I can't believe I'm going to say this. I actually think I enjoy having that kind of photographic evidence. Because I was thinking, as you were telling the story, like... Okay, if you if you really wanted to see something, that's the kind of something that I would want to see. If I was going to have it right. proven to me in any capacity that there are worlds beyond ours, that yeah. ghosts exist, you know, that's the kind of ghost I want to see. Yeah, me too, actually. I don't want to see like the fucking Slenderman. I don't want to see the Hat Man. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I want to see. So- and she doesn't have a history of harming anyone. I mean, well, that's true. She sounds pretty innocent. Like,
1: like a, like yeah. she's just stuck. Right, you, you know what? You're right. That is actually the kind I would like to see too. If, if especially like um it is such a classic kind of like ghost sighting. Yeah, England has such a history of you know the paranormal. And I mean to stay in some like old manor where mm-hmm. there's this kind of legend about what may have happened four hundred years ago. Yeah, and then to see an apparition in the hallway that others had been seeing for centuries. Right, that's kind of best case scenario for, and then you get to go home and have your life back
2: well and that's the thing is it's like we've talked about so many haunted hotels or this place that place and i've often said like oh i would never stay at that place no thank you right i would stay there you
1: would stay at random random hall
2: yeah i I would go and investigate that because it it feels again it feels innocent yeah okay she doesn't she doesn't bother me um i did uh i was having some funny thoughts about charles and dorothy Mm -hmm. and i just thought like yeah I love to be fancy and Mm -hmm. you don't. And I I don't want to be punished for that.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to kill you. Okay, good. I'm not going to lock you up.
2: Okay, good, good, good. How did they verify for sure that Dorothy didn't die the first time? You know, was there any?
1: I will say with the sometimes I don't like to dig too far. Yeah. It's just like, that's the legend.
2: Yeah, so let's stick with it.
1: Yep. So I just, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let that go and, and not try and skepticize it which is yeah. not a word uh, <laughs> it is now <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know okay. if it's totally but that that, that's the legend sure sure yeah. okay and then
2: i have one other question mm-hmm. that is related but not related yeah okay so you're talking about the loftus guy
1: mm, yes yes like the, yeah, the name the of like, the colonel uh-huh.
2: and then it made me think of michael loftus and the then comic it, yeah uh-huh and then it made me think about that like rap video thing that you did with uh, him yeah i
1: don't know where that is online i don't it is, know that was so funny. I was supposed to do a sketch comedy show for the History Channel. They aired the pilot.
2: Yeah, I just didn't get picked up. Yeah,
1: and I was in it as one of the writers, but it was like uh, American Wiseass.
2: It was it was That's such it was a great idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, that, and and that was my favorite part was this Beastie Boys style rap. Oh my
2: god, it was about the so War of eighteen twelve. Yes, and so I, I meet mean, like, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that name yeah. like took me out for a second, and I had to really force myself to not just like break sure. into laughter thinking about you because I remember you were like shirtless <laughs> with a vest or something.
1: I was in good shape then too. You were. I was comparatively. Uh, I
2: that might be out there on the
1: web somewhere. Oh yeah, American Uh, Wise Ass. Yeah, sure. Good
2: luck if somebody finds it, send it to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I want to see it again. (laughs) Uh, Are you Are you ready to move on to a much stranger paranormal tale?
2: Yes, Dan, I am. This is an
1: interesting one for sure. Okay. Okay.
2: Unlike unlike anyone we've told, I think. Okay.
1: Well, before we head halfway around the world to Malaysia, we need to take a quick in between stories sponsor break.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
1: Visit betterhelp.com slash to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp
0: slash scared to death. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keogh and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu.
2: Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time.
1: Head to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code SCAREDTODEATH50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening, creeps and peepers. A little bit of setup on this tale. Okay. We, we have a very interesting monster we need to spend some time understanding before we launch into the encounter tale portion okay. of the story. Uh, this is the first tale we've told, sent in to us by an intern we have in Southeast Asia, Gwen Hay. Thank you, Gwen. She did a great job. Okay. The, uh, uh, okay, so here we go. Spooky setup, as we get into the setup.
2: Did you mean to say spooky?
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to say spooky when I said spooky. This is this is a, a story about the Penangolin. Uh
2: The Penangalan?
1: The Penangalan. It's known by a few different names. That's one of them. Okay. A melee, vampiric female monster, a creature considered nothing more than folklore by some, considered a demonic entity by others, and it has haunted many of Southeast Asia's peoples for hundreds of years. The first written account of the Penangalan dates back to 1845, But the creature is believed to have existed in oral tales handed down from one generation to the next for centuries prior. In Bali, the same creature is called the Layak. In East Malaysia, it's known as Balan Balan. It's called uh, Palasik in West Sumatra. And it's known by many other names in Thailand, uh, Kalimantan, uh, the southern part of Borneo, the Philippines, and elsewhere. The Penangalan, also sometimes referred to as a Penangal, coming from the Malay word uh, Tongal. Which means to take off or to remove. A fitting name, given that the penangalin takes the form of a woman's floating severed head, her inner organs trailing behind her.
2: Loc- she wait say that again. She does what?
1: It's a floating severed head, the organs trailing out of the neck, dragging behind her.
2: Okay. Ugh.
1: Locals claim that the penangalin does her hunting at night and can and can be glimpsed darting through the thick jungle, searching for its next next victim. The best defense against a penangalin is an odd one. It's an odd creature. Makes sense. The prickly leaves of the native Mengkwan plant. They claim that a penangalin will instinctively avoid these leaves and other spiked objects in order to protect its soft, vulnerable organs from harm.
2: Ugh, okay, weird.
1: Such a strange monster. According to Malaysian folklore, penangals are created as a consequence of mortal women dabbling in black occult magic. It's said that there's a dark ritual that begins with a mortal woman submerging herself in a vat of vinegar up to her neck, a ritual that ends with the transformation into the Penanglent. And those terms are interchangeable, Penangal, Penanglin.
2: They're choosing to be the Penanglin.
1: Yes, according to most uh, stories. Some also believe that you can be uh, turned into a Penanglin, uh, through being cursed via black magic. But generally, it's a choice, is the thought. Most of the stories peculiarly, peculiarly. oh my God, peculiarly, I didn't realize that word was so hard to say, uh, revolve around vinegar. Uh, the most common origin story is the old tale of a man who witnessed a young woman completing this ritual the nude young maiden was taking a bath in a tub once used for storing vinegar and when the man walked in on her she twisted her head around to look at him and when her head should have no longer been able to continue twisting it kept twisting separating from her body and then her organs and entrails ripped free from the neck down and then the newly born Penangau flew across the room and attacked dripping venom with her innards still trailing after her The man fled, barely able to escape with his life and tell the tale. And many in Malaysia who believe in the Penangalans seem to believe uh, uh, that this this creature, you can see it and just not have known you've seen it. It can disguise itself. It's probably walked right past you, maybe spoke with you, or maybe even shares the same bed as you. Uh. Uh, Most seem to think that women who choose to transform into Penangals uh, through black magic are able to return to their bodies at dawn and then pass themselves off easily as normal women by day. These women supposedly achieve their transformation through routinely soaking themselves in vinegar so that their organs shrink back enough down to fit through the opening in their neck wound. The smell of vinegar is the most common way to identify the penangolin when not in its strange vampiric form, but that is a smell easily masked by perfume and scented lotions. The penangolin can then easily move about in society during the day, hidden in plain sight as a familiar neighbor, friendly woman at the marketplace, even a mother, sister, daughter, or wife. As a child in Malaysia, Aaliyah believed in stories uh, or believed in stories of the Penangalan. Then as she grew up, they they became spooky but ultimately silly tales. Several years ago, Aliyah moved uh, far away from her own superstitious village to the city with her parents. And now she attends college classes at Tuman Maluri, a school set up in the bustling metropolis of Kuala Lumpur. Stories of the Penangalan were uh, nothing more than folklore to Aaliyah. Stories told to naughty, younger children to keep them from wandering too far out into the forest. Stories told to keep them safe inside their homes and their beds at night. Her grandparents had, when they were younger, both been practicing Boma, a.k.a. shamans or witch doctors, and they still believed the old stories. Aaliyah's own parents, however, were actual medical doctors. They dealt with real sicknesses, modern treatments, not curses, and cryptids. Aaliyah and her brother were raised to be logical, but then one fateful night in 2014, Aaliyah claims that she met the Penangalan literally face to face and her logical and rational world was turned upside down forever. Time now for the tale of The Rude Awakening. The humid summer night that was to shake Aaliyah's faith in a world without monsters started off like any other night. Exhausted after a long day at college, then homework, then too many hours of online gaming. It didn't take Aaliyah long to fall asleep when her head finally hit her pillow sometime after 1 a.m. Aaliyah at this time was still living at home with her parents, and while she fell asleep easily, the same could not be said for her mother. Her mother was prone to bouts of insomnia and slept fitfully at the best of times. And this night, as she often did during fits of restlessness, Aaliyah's mother walked softly about the house, peeping in fondly on her sleeping daughter, checking the locks, and planning out her tasks for the next day. Her husband and son were out of town visiting relatives. Only her daughter and her were home. And while her now-grown daughter, Aaliyah, slept, she heard a muffled tapping at the large window in the master bedroom. And it brought an indulgent smile to her face. It must be Comet, she thought, one of several cats living in the neighborhood who had adopted her family. Aaliyah and her mother both had a weakness for felines, and theirs was a house where many of the neighborhood cats were welcome and came and went as they pleased. Her daughter and herself both spoiled them shamelessly, and her husband had given in long ago with fond exasperation. Comet was Aaliyah's favorite. Kittenish and perpetually scruffy, Comet was prone to spending his days out exploring the neighborhood and then returning most nights to their home to demand entry. The bossy little tomcat uh, expected windows and doors to open upon command, no matter how late at night, so that he could snuggle up to Aaliyah and fall asleep. Not wanting Comet to start up the loud, insistent mewling he resorted to when not granted immediate entry, Aaliyah's mother quickly slid the large window open, smiling when a shadowy, seemingly cat-sized figure slipped in off the balcony and shot across the room in the darkness, making a beeline for her daughter's room as expected. The bossiness of these cats, she sighed, amused, shaking her head as she turned away. Now that she had let Comet in for the night and satisfied uh, herself that all was well in her home, her mind was able to relax, hopefully enough for her to sleep, and she headed back towards her bed, hoping to drift off into dreams. She had just stepped a few steps towards her bed when she jumped. Her bare foot stepped into a nasty surprise of wet somewhat slimy puddle mud perhaps had it come from the cat irritation mixed with disgust as she looked around and then spotted the telltale glints of a trail of whatever comet had trekked in leading all the way around the corridor and presumably extending down into Aaliyah's room she groaned tempted to pretend not to have seen it until morning maybe her husband could deal with it when he came home a quick glance at the phone in her hand told her it was going to be or going on half past two in the morning, and she had to be up in time to open do- the doors of her clinic at 8 a.m. sharp. The idea of having to scrub the floor clean at this hour and also deal with Aaliyah's bedsheets was a headache she really, really would like to pass off to someone else or at least put off until the morning. But that just wasn't how she was wired. Being a responsible person was sometimes terrible. Mm -hmm. She knew she wouldn't be able to go to sleep, thinking about the mess in her house, especially not knowing how bad it really was. So she sighed, bent down, and began to try and identify the extent of this mess. And two things leapt out at her the second her face neared the slimy trail. One, the liquid glistening at her feet was ominously dark, with no visible paw prints in sight. And two, the awful, vinegary stench that immediately assailed her was so vile that she choked. Oh, boy. No mud would account for this odor. Then, as the first tendrils of fear wormed their way into the pit of her stomach, while her mind raced to understand what was happening, the screaming began. Moments earlier, Aaliyah had been sleeping soundly when she dimly registered the creak of her door opening. Then she felt the weight of something climbing atop her bed. Comet, she decided, without opening her eyes in the darkness to check. Her favorite furry friend seemed to be moving a little slower than usual this night, but Aaliyah was too sleepy. for this to bother her, barely awake as she was. Oh, man. She figured the cat must have had a long day as well. Comet, baby, she mumbled affectionately. Come here. This was routine by now. She reached out from sheer force of habit, already slipping back into slumber. Good kitty, she sleepily slurred, tugging the animal towards her. And then, like her mother just a moment before, the smell hit her, the pungent, powerful smell. Her eyes flew open as she instinctively recoiled. Aliyah would later describe the initial smell to her mother as floral, like jasmine. Not, Not pleasant. It was overwhelmingly sweet, as if the flowers were wet and rotting, though. And there was also, of course, the hint of vinegar. This fragrance was quickly followed by the sickly, dirty aroma of blood and pus. It was incredibly disturbing to wake up to the stench. More upsetting than the smell was the sensation of what she'd just touched, when Ali had reached down and touched what she expected to be a cat, she found herself instead cradling handfuls of long, wet, human hair. Ugh. And it was so cold, the freezing temperature of the slimy, moist thing in her bed jolted her awake. She immediately realized that whatever she was touching, it was not her cat. It was not any cat. When she opened her eyes and sat up in bed, in the middle of the night darkness of her room, Ali could just barely make out the shadowy silhouette of a disembodied head. Oh. A human head she had almost brought to her chest to cuddle, and that was when she screamed. When she let loose her blood-curdling cry, the creature flew into a frenzy of action, attacking and attempting to seek its frantically chomping teeth into any part of her it could reach. Aaliyah half sobbed, half shrieked, and she began to slap and kick wildly, desperately trying to keep the horrific creature away from her exposed shoulders, neck, arm, and face. She then felt a scrape of unmistakably human teeth against her forearm and howled as the area immediately flared up in agony. Aaliyah remembered the stories now from her childhood. This was the Penangolin. The nightmarish creature was as poisonous as it was vicious. Her spastic efforts to fend it off increased alongside her terrified screaming. It felt like the cold slime it trailed had gotten into the cut it made and burned. Aliyah would go on to tell her mother in the aftermath that this was no normal burn, nothing you could get from a hot pan or a carelessly held candle. She compared it to grabbing an ice cube with already wet hands, the kind of cold that might as well have been from an open flame based on the hurt it caused. And where was Aliyah's mother amidst this chaos? She was busy grabbing a weapon. The second she recognized that the liquid on her floor was blood and heard her daughter scream, she darted to her own bedside and retrieved a machete, one she had made a habit of keeping hidden by her side of the bed in every house she'd slept in ever since a nasty break-in had occurred years ago. Thankful now for her paranoia, she ran for her daughter, flinging Aaliyah's bedroom door open with a crash and flipping on the light. The stench she'd faintly detected earlier now assaulted her senses with the force of a physical blow. It stunned her and froze her in her place for a brief moment. And then the sight of a screeching Aaliyah besieged by a floating head, entrails and all spurred her back into action. The penangolin. The word flashed instantly into her mind. Gone now was the coolly rational doctor. She was her Boma parent's daughter again. And she was a mother desperate to save her child. Leaving the machete sheathed so so that she didn't accidentally slice open her daughter, Aaliyah's mother joined the fight, wielding her weapon as more of a bat than a sword. She lashed out in wild swings that stunned and hurt both the Penangal and now her fully hysterical daughter. Oh my god. But the creature continued to attack. The blows weren't enough to stop it. Aaliyah's eyes were open, wide in pain and fear. Aaliyah's mother, her eyes darted frantically around her daughter's room, desperately trying to quickly come up with a plan to save her girl. Her eyes landed on a tiny square window in the corner just by her daughter's desk. She had an idea. With her usually fearless stoic daughter screaming, piercing her eardrums as well as her heart, she tore herself away from the nightmare scene and flung the window open. Meanwhile, the Penangal continued to attack and bite its teeth near Aaliyah's <sighs> face. The creature's stench engulfed her. Its putrid breath now hot and sticky on her face, the burning agony of her still, fresh wound, the crazed hatred gleaming in the creature's black eyes, it all overwhelmed her, and she feared, despite her mother's efforts to save her, that she would soon die in her bed. (sighs) Aliyah's mother was in tears now, tugging on the rarely used window. She struggled to open it as a monster, a literal monster, continued to attack her daughter behind her. With a desperate cry to God, she finally managed to yank open the little window in the cramped corner. And now she returned to Aaliyah's bed, once more wielding a sheathed machete. She returned to attacking. Now between her machete strikes and her daughter's efforts to push the creature off of her, the Penangal was finally successfully dislodged, and Aaliyah was able to create some separation between her and this beast. Then she heard her mother scream, Not my fucking daughter! Each word hissed through gritted teeth, accompanied by a fierce slash. Aaliyah stared in shock at the surreal sight of her always polite always collected mother caught up in some nightmarish mimicry of baseball wielding a hefty machete as a bat against a floating human head then she saw a glint of the street lamps outside on the steel of the weapon her mom had finally unsheathed the blade Aaliyah could no longer tell which of the three of them was screeching at this point the whole scene could not possibly be more surreal her mother was now stabbing at this creature with murder in her eyes Aaliyah made herself as small as possible to top for bed her covers pulled up to her eyes, watching her mom take swing after swing. The Penang gal seemed to finally be tiring. She now watched as her petite mother grabbed a fistful of the thing's oh. hair and swung it towards the open window. Go to hell! Aaliyah's mother screamed as it flew outside before immediately slamming the window shut. Aliyah stared on in disbelief as her mother rushed to, rushed to her side and caught her up in a fierce hold, ignoring the mess that was poor Aliyah's bed her hands moved swiftly in practiced motions as she checked her daughter over for injury Aliyah yelped in pain when her mom made contact with the still burning wound on her forearm. We're okay we're okay we're okay her mother chanted. They collapsed against each other crying in relief and shock it was over. Mother and daughter alike eventually fell silent as they set about grimly cleaning up all traces of the encounter. Aaliyah found an entire hunk of her own hair on the pillow Ew. which partially ex- explained her throbbing head She'd barely registered how close the Penangal had gotten to her before her mother had snatched it away. Aaliyah let her mother guide her gently to the shower and made no protest when her mother insisted on waiting just outside the door while Aaliyah scrubbed her skin raw, trying to erase the lingering sensation of the Penangal's touch. She got dressed, obediently let her mother fuss over her for the first time in years, cleaning her scrapes and wounds, then forcing a glass of water down Aliya's ragged throat before both women finally went wordlessly to bed where neither would manage to get much sleep. For the next week, Aaliyah's mother and her slept in the same bed. When Comet the Cat came by, his identity was verified via flashlight before he was allowed into the house. All the windows were shut and locked each night. The next weekend, done with her work at the clinic for the week, Aaliyah's mother brought her daughter back to their village to visit Aaliyah's grandparents. Her mother urged Aaliyah to recount the entire experience almost as soon as they were seated. When the full story was laid out before them, her grandparents exchanged a grave glance but said nothing while her grandmother's freshly brewed tea cooled on the table between them. Atuk, I know you two can help us understand. Aaliyah tugged beseechingly on her grandfather's wrinkled hand. She looked at her grandmother and laid her free hand atop her grandmother's trembling fingers as well. Opa, Aaliyah pleaded. Her grandparents sighed and her grandmother finally broke to silence. This wasn't random. She said, looking steadily at where Aaliyah's hand rested on hers. Yoratuk and I have never heard of a Penangal daring to venture into such an urban area. And you both say it specifically knocked on your window for entry and went directly into Aaliyah's room? Aaliyah's mother nodded her head. Then, after a long dramatic pause, her grandmother said, It was sent. Sent? Demanded Aaliyah. Excuse me? At this point, her grandfather finally spoke. His sudden booming voice causing all the women to jump. Sent! He thumped an indignant fist on the table, rattling the untouched teacups despite his wife's reproving glance. Some coward was stupid enough to try and buy a Penangal's obedience and sent it out like a dog, he yelled. Aaliyah's mother asked indignantly, why would it be sent after Aaliyah? Who would want to do something like that to her? How do you even buy a Penangal's servitude, Aaliyah interrupted. You agreed to feed it, that's how, Aaliyah's grandmother replied. Animal blood, a few drops of your own blood. It all satisfies its hunger. You feed it and then it does what you want. Her husband cut in, picking up where she left off with the ease of long habit between husband and wife. This kind of deal is actually more common than you'd think, though a Penanggal is definitely a more unusual choice of vengeful spirit. More violent for one, less easily subdued. Finding a Penanggal is hard enough, convincing it to recognize you as a master harder still, and the hardest part is that you can't back out of a deal like this. Not without a great deal of trouble. Most people won't go through it even if they can find someone who knows the necessary ritual. That thing is going to hurt that owner's family far more than any enemy it's been ordered to go after. What took means, her grandmother continued calmly, is that if the owner dies, the deal does not. That Penangal is going to sick itself on the next closest family member of that owner, and will keep on doing so whether or not that family realizes they have a supernatural inheritance." I can't imagine anyone admitting to their family they used black magic, so it's probable that this penanggal is being kept as a secret, vengeful little pet. And if the family doesn't know what they've inherited, they can't keep up the deal of feeding it when the owner dies.
2: What the fuck?
1: Aliyah's grandfather now continued her grandmother's message, and when that poor family unknowingly breaks that deal, the Penangal will turn on whoever it's decided is its master and feed on them instead. "'Why did it come to us?' her mother asked. "'We have no enemies. We keep to ourselves. We offend no one.' Aliyah's grandfather sat deep in thought for several moments, "'and then he said, "'It got the wrong house.' "'His wife nodded. Aliyah's mother silently blinked at the unexpected answer, "'and in any other situation, Aliyah would have laughed, "'and laughed at the absurdity of the subject of this conversation. "'She spoke, her voice rising in disbelief. "'You're telling me that my Aliyah got attacked "'because that thing got the wrong address?' Her grandfather spoke again. You can send spirits after people, but spirits can get mixed up, especially if you send it after someone with a big family spread out over a big area. They're not necessarily intelligent. He paused thoughtfully and then said, I doubt that Penangal will bother you at all. Again, uh, once the owner figures out it's made a mistake. Ali didn't know whether to cry with relief or again laugh at the ridiculousness of all of this at this point. She asked, What if this was not an accident? What if it is coming for me? How do we stop it? There must be some kind of ritual, right? Aaliyah's grandparents shook their heads in unison. Aaliyah had never seen them so exhausted, so ancient-seeming as they did now, their faces lined with worry. Her grandmother spoke. We just have to hope it is not coming for you, that it comes for someone else. Aaliyah thought about some other poor person being attacked in their sleep, someone who might die. So I guess we won't know until it strikes again, will we? Aaliyah asked her grandparents. The sorrow in their eyes was their answer. Aliyah shared this story some time ago. We don't know if the Penangal ever returned. What? I said it was a fucking crazy story.
2: It's crazy. And then that ending is, I was furious last week. I am, I mean, I'm not <laughs> as furious, but it got the wrong address. Get the fuck out of here.
1: That's the folklore. This story, <laughs> what, what I like, uh, for, I mean, I, I, I'll admit, I was a little hesitant. I'm like, I don't know. But we've covered other cryptids. yeah. And it is, I mean, I think about like the folklore we have here, like the urban legends we have here in the States, how they would seem to people in other countries. Like they already seem strange to us.
2: Right, that's fair. The
1: bunny man, other things. (laughs) Right, right, right. Right, right. but they can be like scary tales. And I I have the feeling that in Malaysia, when you've grown up with this folklore, this is going to be a more frightening tale. And I just like that it just shows the type of horror folklore that exists in other parts of the world and check out these are just some artist renditions of this thing so here's our first concept art photo of this it's just a crazy nasty looking it's uh,
2: medusa-esque
1: yeah yeah with the entrails all floating around um let's go to this next one this is just more concept art i found the art to be cooler than like the kind of like i don't know photoshopped you know people like things yeah 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 there's some there's some movies in Malaysia that deal with this but none of the stills are high res got it. they they look pretty shitty okay and then this this next one one more uh, just another yeah piece of concept art
2: got it that is cool
1: uh-huh i just um i
2: would hang that in her house
1: yeah it's just such an unusual creature yeah uh, that I just found it fascinating. It's just like its
2: guts hanging out.
1: Yeah, like uh, I'd never thought of a monster like that, where it's it's venomous. It has regular teeth. It's mm-hmm. kind of vampiric, mm-hmm. but it's it's a regular woman looking woman's head, right? And, and then just out of the neck, all like these organs and some in some photos. So, there's like, the gross. lungs and the heart, like all of the chest cavity organs will be behind it, but um, never the bones. It's just it's just very interesting to me.
2: Yeah, just weird. Just weird.
1: Just weird. So for for the sake of variety, you know, yeah, don't want to no. do exorcism, shadow people stories every week. I mean, I, I really, I really like that.
2: No, I, I really liked it too. Yeah. It was peculiar. Yes. Is the word I would
1: use. Yes.
2: Dang. Okay.
1: Now, you know, now I feel like you're going to round this out with more traditional scary, traditional, scarier stories.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> Oh, Not man.
1: that anybody who was scared by that one is wrong to be scared. I mean, it's, it, it, No, it's, what,
2: what? it's creepy. It's gross. Yeah. It's like, it bothers you. Also, my in-ear is really bugging me.
1: Oh, no. Oh, yeah, because you got your ear pierced again.
2: No, it has nothing to do with that. It's like, I swear to God, I feel like the shape of my ear changed. Like, it doesn't fit in there <laughs> properly anymore.
1: Uh, what, and, 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 I, and I do find it fascinating what stories resonate with different people. Oh, like, yeah. I, like, I think about, like, uh, and I won't even say which one it was, but one of the stories that we told, that, in my opinion, in our catalog, was to me... The least credible, least scary story. Yeah. And then I was talking to my sister, and that one scared her more than any, any other story. Crazy. I love that.
2: Did we talk about, on the show, about your sister, about what our niece said to her? Did I tell you about this? Mm, How It's
1: not ringing any bells if oh, it has to do with related to paranormal. It.
2: I wish it, it does. It has to do with Bird. Um, her daughter, who we call Bird, uh like, said to Donna, this was not altogether that long ago in the last, like, couple of months. Yeah. she Donna texted me and said, like, yeah, um, I think we have a shadow person in our house. And I was like, excuse you? And she said that Bird said to her something about, like, mommy, why do you and daddy walk around so much at night in the house?
1: Yeah,
2: And Donna was like, hey, we don't. <laughs> oh,
1: God. And then, and that then, sucks. And
2: then something about, like... But I heard you open my door. Like What? God, I'll have to go back through my text messages. But it was enough for me to be like, oh, Donna, get some fucking sage and some crystals. And you better tell it to GTFO. (laughs) Crazy, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Okay. Hey, did you know that um, the week that this episode airs, that Friday is Friday the 13th? Oh,
1: yeah. Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. And we should tell people this the same week. Also, your birthday. Oh, yeah. November 11th, Veterans Day. Whoop, whoop. Lindsay's birthday, Mm-hmm. Queen of Bad Magic.
2: It's my birthday. What'd you get me?
1: Uh, well, the ring on your oh, finger, yeah. that's part of it.
2: But well, This and, is my wedding ring. Dan bought me a different ring yeah. I'm not wearing today.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get some other stuff.
2: Okay. okay. Do, I, do I have to put in a like, request list? Sure. Norm- nor- normally, normally. Normally I have to. I don't have to? Okay, well then I won't. We'll see how you do on your own. Okay. We'll see. If uh-huh. Dan's not back here next week, you know that he failed epically. <laughs> if Joe's sitting there instead. Perfect. <laughs> You're in the hospital with two black guys. Oh man. Oh man. Okay. You ready to go to Hawaii?
1: Yeah. Okay. We've been do- in a long time on the show.
2: True. True. Okay. So uh, this story comes from a fan, Shannon, uh, who grew up in Hawaii, and I, w- I was kind of sharing this before the show. Dan and I discussed the stories just a little bit, so that we know what we're getting into a tiny bit, and. Uh, it, the setup on this, I don't actually find to be that terrifying, but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it takes this turn that is like, holy shit. Okay. I didn't see it coming. I reread these uh, last night and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot how actually spooky this story is. Okay, okay, you got Layla? I do. Okay. Hello there. I've been a longtime fan of all things scary. Last month, I was introduced to your podcast by the lovely lady that does my hair and I was hooked. Awesome. uh, Yeah. As I was listening to the stories about Hawaii, I decided that I had to submit my own experiences to you as I noticed some similarities to their stories and my own. Mm -hmm. I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona, but the experience that I'm going to share with you takes place in Hawaii on Shawfield Barracks, about 20 minutes away from Pearl City. Do you remember that story we had in Pearl City, like the tree came crashing through? Yes, I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we'd had another Hawaii story before that, that was um, that one I told about the lady in the middle of the road. Oh,
2: oh, fuck. I still think about her. Mm -hmm. Also, when we told that story, Mm -hmm. I had said to Joe, I was like, okay, you know what we should do one night? I'll tell you like Dan and I are going to go to dinner (laughs) and then I want you to be like the lady in the road and scare the shit out of Dan.
1: And that's how Joe dies. He gets hit by a car. Oh my God. Well, he'll be like further down. I panic and floor it and run him over. That's how it backfires. All
2: right. Noted. (laughs) Noted. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. Okay. All of my life, I've been told by my mom that I was a special kid, but not in like the confidence-building and loving way most parents do. My mom said it very uncomfortably, like it was a bad thing, and refused to talk about any of the unexplainable events that have happened to me in my life. When I was two years old, my mom was stationed in Hawaii at Shawfield Barracks, an army base. My family at the time consisted of my mom, my dad, my older brother, and myself. When my parents were together, we were a religious family. My dad was Roman Catholic, and we lived by his beliefs in our home. Growing up in Hawaii was fun and full of amazing adventures. But with Hawaii being a very spiritual place, it was also full of strange experiences. I always felt so torn with respecting my dad's views and our family beliefs, while also respecting the culture and beliefs of Hawaii. We lived in block housing on Shawfield, right next to the elementary school. The house was painted a very crisp white. All of the homes were a condo style and shared walls with the others. They all looked exactly the same and weren't creepy or spooky looking. In fact, they were quite forgettable. (laughs) For my fifth birthday, I wanted to paint my room a lovely shade of flamingo pink. (laughs) The only compromise I had to make was that my dad's favorite and very special to him, porcelain statues and faces of clowns, is what my room was going to be decorated in.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Apprehensively, at the addition, my sleepless nights started. Sorry, apprehensively, I agreed. At this addition, my sleepless nights started. My room was filled to the brink with clowns, and I always had this feeling that I was being watched while in my room. And to this day, clowns still freak me out. I get it. Since turning five, I had changed from being a happy and bubbly child to a very moody and emotional one as strange things started to happen at night. My room would smell like something was burning. "'and there would be a a scratching sound "'that would accompany it. "'I would cry about being so tired all of the time "'and told my parents about the strange scratching sounds "'and the burning smells, "'making me so afraid that I couldn't sleep. "'At night, I was consumed with fear "'and I would stay up as long as I could "'with my lights on, sitting up in the corner of my bed. "'I had loved school, but I started doing very poorly "'and would get into trouble for falling asleep in class.' My parents believed it was just my overactive imagination, that I was smelling the pineapple or the sugarcane fields burning, and that maybe it was the clown statue scaring me, and tried to connect my behavior to some recent change in our household. Over time, I became unmanageable, and I looked frazzled. I was angry, acting out and having behavioral issues. When told to go to my room, my behavior would escalate. I tried to avoid my room at all times and would attempt to sleep in my brother's room, my parents' room, and sometimes, I was even found, sleeping in the bathtub. My cousins came to visit that summer, and things seemed to be back to normal while they were there. I was the happy kid I had been before. My cousins were older than me by a few years, and I felt so special because they wanted to spend time with me during their visit. During that time, there were no questions as to where we would all sleep. In the living room! I hadn't been forced to stay in my room by my parents their entire visit. My older brother and I had a very strained relationship. He had always been in trouble in the past, and I was always the good kid. I know, that's my house. (laughs) He had been enjoying the fact that I had been in trouble in the recent months. One day, he mentioned to my cousins that I thought there was something in my room and that I refused to go in there. Of course, that immediately turned into me being questioned and made fun of, and I felt that familiar anger wash over me again. They had planned that we were all going to sleep in my room that night to see if there really was something going on. Mm -hmm. Throughout the day leading up to the sleepover, I was a ball of nerves and stress. Just before bed, my mom sat me down and tried to give me a little pep talk. She mentioned that it was a good thing that I will have more people in my room with me that night, and maybe it would help me sleep and make me feel more comfortable. I held on to those thoughts as I tried to make myself believe it was all going to be okay. As everyone was choosing their sleeping space and making plans for the night, I rushed into my bed, onto the top bunk, into my usual corner. I settled in and starting saying, started saying my prayers before saying goodnight to my family. My cousins and brothers stopped in their tracks and started laughing at me. They told me that the devil didn't like it when people said their prayers, and that no wonder all of these weird things were happening in my room. It was because he was coming to drag me to hell. I yelled at them that they were wrong and that I was doing the right thing, and they just laughed at me. They then told me that they weren't going to sleep in my room anymore because I was acting like a baby. They picked up their things and laughed as they turned the light off on their way out and shut the door behind them. I was so mad that I let them leave without me ever turning the light back on. That night, as I sat in bed stewing over how rude my cousins and brother were, I started to drift off to sleep. I fought it as much as I could, but my eyes were heavy and I surrendered. At some point during the night, the burning smell woke me up, and the sound of scratching made me remember why I never slept in here anymore. My eyes widened, and I slowly tried to cover my body as much as possible with my covers, and repeatedly said my prayers as quickly as I could. The smell of smoke became stronger, and the sound of scratching started getting louder until it filled the room. Just as I started to feel overwhelmed by the sound and smell, it all stopped. I waited for what felt like an eternity before lowering my covers to look around my room. As soon as my eyes adjusted to the dark, I sat up and moved to the corner of my bed and looked around my room. Just then, on the opposite side of my room, I watched a dark, smoky, human-like form crawl up the wall and with it make a ts sound. With every step, smoke was coming from each hand and foot connection with my wall, I stared frozen as I watched it climb all the way up the wall and started to slowly come my way upside down, crawling across the ceiling. Jesus. It was like it knew it had me. I hadn't seen it eyes, but I could feel them on me and I couldn't look away. I tried to scream, but nothing would come out. With all the courage and fear I had in me, I threw myself from the top bunk, hit the floor and ran to my mom's room. I banged on their door. I was screaming and crying that there was something in my room, but I got the routine answer. Go back to bed. It's just a bad dream. I continued yelling and banging on the door, but they still wouldn't let me in. I curled into a ball and made myself as small as I could and cried myself to sleep that night outside my parents' room. The next morning, I was awoken to my mom tripping over me as she tried to leave her bedroom. I was given that look of disappointment as I stood up and began crying and trying to tell her all about what had happened in my room. She attempted to calm me down and held me close. She stroked my hair and repeated that it was just a bad dream and that everything would be okay. All I could do was cry and shake my head no. My mom had the best of intentions when she offered to go to my room and show me that everything was all right. At her suggestion, I started screaming, crying, and begged her not to go. She tried to hold my hand and walk me to my room, but I pulled in the other direction. I bucked, I jumped, I did everything I could to stop her, but I was unsuccessful. I looked up at her with tears in my eyes just to see her reaction. My mom opened the door and took a step in and said, Just look, you see, it's not... My mom immediately moved me to stand behind her and slowly stepped into my room. She didn't finish her sentence, but instead she quietly looked around the room. On my pink walls, across the ceiling, oh were foot and hand prints. What the fuck? I watched my mom as she attempted to pick and scratch at the prints to figure out what it was. As pieces crumbled off, she looked at her hands and said, It's burned. My mom moved quickly after that and took my hand to remove me from the room. The rest of the day, I watched her walk from the hallway in and out of my room as she attempted to clean the burn marks off my walls. They never came off. They were instead painted over, and with each coat of paint, it made it like it never happened. My mom talked. My mom never talked about it and still to this day refuses to. I never had to sleep in my room again, and eventually we moved. The condo was demolished about 17 years ago, and new houses were built in its place. I told my mom recently that I was going to submit my story to your podcast. She asked, oh, what kind of story? <laughs> I told her that it was a ghost story, and she said, oh, a ghost story. I want to hear it. I told her that she had heard it already, that it was the story about my pink room back in Hawaii. She replied, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that and quickly changed the subject. My mom hasn't changed one bit.
1: Crazy. So one question, just really quick, yeah. while you're kind of pages near there. When they painted over the pink paint, I, I was confused. Were the footprints and handprints still bleeding through the no, paint? Oh, no, okay. She okay, tried to your, wash
2: them off and she couldn't. Got, and, then, and then like they covered with, it up with coat paint. of paint, it was okay. like they just, you know, it's like it didn't happen. Man,
1: Yeah, that was a... I, I, Well, I see what you mean by the twist. Twist now, excuse me. Yeah,
2: because you don't see it coming. And, you know, it seems like such a typical, like, oh, kids, bad dreams. Like, listen, Mm -hmm. we've all been there, especially if, well, I mean, we were all kids. So we've all had bad dreams where we went into our parents' room. We've all had annoyed parents or we've been the annoyed parents. Like, I can see this unfolding with the cousins and, like, oh, you're Mm -hmm. a baby. And when you're the younger cousin, like, you're so excited when your older cousins give you attention. Like, the whole fucking thing was so relatable. And then... When those handprints showed up, I was like ah. ah.
1: Yeah. That, that's such a um a lot of times like like in stories like that, I think about like horror movies. <laughs> like like this last weekend we started to watch Conjuring Two and you were out. Which I which I get. But it's like we'll James We'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. James Wan
2: Yeah he he's is so good. So
1: good. And and, and that, that kind of style of horror movie, it just makes me picture the scene. Where, um, yeah, you're like you're seeing like maybe like one person can see the entity and then another person doesn't see the entity is like, what are you talking about? But then just sees little footprints oh. and little handprints going up the wall, uh-huh. going across the ceiling. It's like, man, that's going to mess I-, I get why her mom wouldn't want to talk about it. Yeah. That would mess you up forever.
2: And you just want to forget that it happened. You right. want to push it
1: out. And if it went on the ceiling, because I would think, OK, just how kids could <gasps> be. That's thing. I-, I would think how kids can be if it was just on the wall. I'd be Ugh, like, "Okay, god. what did you what did you do?"
2: Right. Like you, that you're trying to blame yeah, on this. Yeah,
1: like maybe you put your I don't know, it's far fetched for a kid that young, but like your shoes on the wall or something. Right. But when it goes in the ceiling and it's a, and it's a kid that age, yeah. that's not the kid.
2: Oh god. I that's know, disturbing. So upsetting.
1: Yeah, the thing I wrote down initially was not important. I I, I, <laughs> I just had that uh the story got, you know, crazier, but I'm like, "Why is it always a scratching?" Why, why is that so disturbing? Yeah. It's but I, terrible. But I guess... But, it's, but it would
2: sound different because it sounds like it's coming from the inside know. out. So like yep. we had a mouse in our house when we very first moved yeah, in. Yeah, I,
1: I, I've heard that scratching too. Yeah.
2: Recently? Oh, you
1: mean... No, no, no. No, like in our house. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I was like, wait, what? I forgot about our actual house. I thought you were talking about it
0: as a kid. Oh, I was thinking no. about
1: the Wilson's house. These friends of mine when I was a kid, they had lots of mice in their walls. Yeah. It was kind of an old, crazy, not well-maintained house. Yeah. But it's like, that is a... A sketchy sound when you're when, yeah, it's you're, when you're listening to little mice walk around <laughs> in the walls and make make their little mice noises and then like they're kind of like scratching it on yeah, something yeah yeah
2: creepy as fuck. um are you ready for one more mm-hmm. okay this one's quick but um I've lived in a lot of apartments in my life and you've mm-hmm. lived in enough and mm-hmm. it's like um
1: a ton as a kid
2: oh yeah sure mm-hmm. um this story is about this person's apartment, like something that happens in the woods behind the apartment. Mm -hmm. And for me, as I was reading it, I was like, Oh yeah. Like I've lived in enough apartment complexes that were, it's like, Oh, it's by nature. You feel like you feel less closed in. It feels better if you Mm -hmm. have to live in an apartment to like, look out and see nature. And Mm -hmm. so this was also a very, very relatable story. Ready? Yep. All right. Where's Layla? I got her. Just checking. Hello, King of the Suck, Queen of the Spooks, and the whole Scared (laughs) to Death crew. I love these intros. Mm -hmm, It's fun. I absolutely love the show. I've been working through all of the episodes, and one of the my stories sparked a a memory of personal scare that I thought was only fair to share here. Now, this story does have a little bit of setup, but not too bad. At the time of the story, my girlfriend, now wife, and I were living in a small apartment in Allegheny, Michigan. One of the great amenities of the apartment was that it backed up to the woods, and we were on the back side of the complex. When you look out our windows or go out on the deck, you can see the really beautiful woods. At first, I loved this. I'm a little bit of a redneck, and I love the outdoors. Mm. On the exact opposite side of the woods, as they are only about a mile wide or so, is the old Allegheny Elks Lodge. This place is known to be extremely haunted due to its long and not-so-friendly history. It was originally a hospital that was opened during the TB outbreak in the 1930s. As you can imagine, there were a lot of people dying inside those walls. And there were rumors that the hospital would dump unclaimed bodies in the woods behind the hospital. Nothing has ever been proven, but there it is. After the hospital shut down in 1948, it then became the Elks Lodge in 1964 and one of Al Capone's hideouts. Cool. During this time, there were at least two reported suicides at the location. But in a small town, there were always rumor that there was more at play in those deaths. After the Elks Lodge closed down, it became a hot spot for paranormal activities. And I believe that paranormal activity has started seeping into the woods that butt up to my apartment complex. And now, time for the story. On this particular day, my girlfriend was at work and I had the day off with nothing better to do. I decided to go for a nature walk, spend some time outside relaxing. This is something I've done hundreds of times. It should be noted that I love being out in the woods. It has a calming effect on me, as though I'm away from the world and I can just relax and be myself. When I got to the woods that day, however, something felt off. I didn't know why, but it just did. I shook it off thinking that it was because I had been watching horror movies the night before. As I got further and further into the woods, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. It was at this very moment that I realized that the woods were dead silent. It was early fall. I should have been hearing birds and squirrels running about, but there was nothing. The feeling of someone watching me intensified, and I thought someone was behind me. I turned to look, and there he was, an old man staring at me through the trees. He was maybe 20 feet from me and not saying a word. Wanting to break the silence, I tried to start a conversation by saying, what a nice day it was. But no reply came. He just stood there, staring at me. Completely freaked out, but not wanting to show it, I asked if he needed help or something. It was at this point that I noticed his clothing. He had on what looked like old-fashioned blue and white striped pajamas that were dingy and stained. I grew worried that maybe this man had dementia and had gotten lost. I started to walk towards him, but as I did, I noticed more strange things about the old man. His eyes were bloodshot, his face and hands were pale, and the creepiest of all is that there seemed to be dried bloodstains on his pajama top and collar, as if he'd been coughing up blood. At this point, I was only about ten feet away when he simply started to disappear right in front of my eyes. Completely freaked the fuck out, I wanted out of those woods ASAP. I ran as fast as my legs would take me to my apartment. At some point, I had to stop and catch my breath. I heard something behind me hit the ground, and I quickly turned to see what had made that sound. But nothing was there. Then it happened again and again, always behind me and always getting closer each time. Not knowing what was going to happen next, I booked it. You can bet that I ran the rest of the way home, straight up to my apartment and locked the door. I closed all of the windows and blinds just to be safe. I never have gone back into those woods again. We still live in the same apartment, but we're hoping to move. Love the show. I hope this scared you at least a little bit as it horrified me. Keep up the good work and keep freaking me out. One of your creeps, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, what is it about? <laughs> it, it is interesting like, with apparitions. I mean, I, I, they're not always like, you know, like older or little kids, but I don't know why like little kid, old man mm-hmm. scares me more than anything in the middle.
2: Than like a 42 year old right. middle aged woman,
1: yeah, yeah, like, like a random, like you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, you're 60, whatever. Yeah. But if it's like 75, 80, or like five, yeah, it's maybe just because of like a, the horror movies or something, maybe. But, um, yeah, that is, that is yeah, that it's and, that, and that's interesting how, like, when he saw like it was so vivid right. initially, right, you know, before and, it like faded, went away, whatever, right. Those are those are those are extra disturbing too. Where it's not like it uh, initially appeared as an obvious spectral. Maybe I can right, ra- like, rationalize my imagination. Right. It's like a dude, and the dude just vanishes.
2: Well, and it's so like um, to <clears throat> me. Okay, so when I lived in L.A., I lived in the Oakwood apartments at one point in time, mm-hmm. which are like over in Burbank, and I was like, I could totally see this happening. There's like some. Um, area like around there where you could go hiking and like you know there is there is some actual not urban sprawl so huh. I'm like oh yeah like I could I could have decided to go for a little like hike or a little walk in the area and then if I saw an older person who seemed disheveled I would I would go to them and yeah. I would be like oh my god are you okay because you know I have parents that are getting older and we have aging grandparents and right. it's Dementia's like dementia is real it's very very fucking real mm-hmm. and people get lost mm-hmm. and these things happen and I I also watch a little bit of This Is Us and she gets lost and she's losing her mind. And so it's sad. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just... But when you add up the totality of the former hospital,
1: I know the uh, the, the tuber- tuberculosis thing, which
2: yeah, I, and I the coughing I, up blood—that's something you would have done if you had yep, TB—and yep. like the pajamas and the old man and mm-hmm. then the woods. It's just like the totality of it really got me.
1: And I do absolutely believe that in some cases they just dump bodies, and not absolutely. in some and not in some sinister, nefarious no. way. But it's like you know, uh, it, it does cost money to you know give somebody a proper burial right. or whatever. And if you have these patients who Kind of just end up at your sanatorium mm-hmm. who, who you don't even necessarily know who they are or right, it's or, not, or they just don't have any family. I mean,
2: well, I, I don't know. What, what I, I, I don't, do kind of get it. What I don't think happened is I don't think that like patient in bed two, room 105 died and they just chucked the body outside. I think it's like the patient's been there for a minute. No family has come forward. Mm-hmm. This is the 30s, not fucking... 2020 so how do you find family like you do the best you can and i think it's a bummer that they didn't incinerate the bodies but you know it's like the hospital's being overrun by a tb outbreak what the Mm -hmm. like you have to clear out that bed what else are you supposed to do
1: i don't know i mean yeah it's like yeah you gotta like just dump the body or you gotta have a good taxidermist who has a good sense of humor and you make like a weird army of the dead you know, I think are the two obvious choices.
2: I knew that you were taking that somewhere like potentially weird and funny. I had a
1: weird glint in my eye.
2: Uh huh. But I was nervous that you were going to talk about like necrophilia or something.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. That, that's that's the obvious third choice. It's like yeah, you got to dump the bodies. <laughs> necrophilia or, army, or you got to stuff them and make an army of like w- kind of like wax sculpture looking people at the front Red entrance sex for fun, bodies. for funsies, or you take them to the basement and fuck them. Yeah, you know.
2: There you go. Like you can't leave that option out. Mm-hmm. You know, because people enjoy that. You get it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I took a weird twister oh uh, my god
2: I, uh, sometimes when we say things like that mm-hmm. i get so nervous that someone is going to take that out of context and make me look like a lunatic on the interwebs <laughs> like like the cops
1: are ma'am
2: <laughs> ma'am do you practice necrophilia
1: <laughs> i think the more more realistic option is somebody we just lost i don't know probably three listeners <laughs> They're like, Th- that was the line how dare Th- they that was the line for them They're like no nope, no nope, uh-uh
2: Oh my god. Can't. Can't That's do fair. it.
1: What does practicing necrophilia look like though?
2: Mm. Like if you're ca-
1: it's like, a like studying not... to be a doctor, you're just
2: oh. constantly practicing the yeah, the,
1: the art. I do like that word in that sense where it's like, no, no, I wasn't actually doing it for realsies. I was practicing <laughs> it. <laughs> right? I was curious about it, just wanted to practice.
2: You just, you know, I, I, I'm a virgin, but when I do it for the first time, I want to do it right. I was just practicing. Oh,
1: my God. Now I have so many disturbing thoughts. Where then that person's first time is like, man, you're way warmer than I expected.
2: <laughs> this is not- Your vagina is so much wetter. Oh, my God.
1: You have a very warm vagina. Oh, my God.
2: Now we've really oh lost some listeners. Now,
1: yeah. I, seven, eight, ten. I, 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 I wish there was like a little counter just <laughs> on the background. Like, <laughs> <laughs> out, 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 out.
2: So funny. Do you want to do some Annabelle shout outs?
1: I do. I do, and I I want to thank everybody for the ratings and reviews. Uh, Creepy Peepers October was such a great month to find new listeners we had so many extra listeners come over to the podcast it's crazy yeah. in the last six months the audience size has doubled so thank you yeah. for telling your friends if you're the hairdresser telling your client like right. any, any way you're all spreading this helps. around we appreciate it so yeah.
2: much and, and we hope that people who came for Halloween extra spoops we hope you stay mm-hmm. we have such a fun community here uh, we have a great Facebook group we don't
1: usually talk about necrophilia at all
2: <laughs> nope this is a one off mm-hmm. and uh, yeah like stay tuned after all the shout outs we're going to talk a tiny bit about our uh, Patreon donation that we mm-hmm. do so yeah it's, it's just a fun community
1: so quick Annabelle shout, out, shout outs thank you and thank you for helping us with the donation uh, we have Morgan Vanderveer Jason Eason Thomas Winneger Jesse Fortenberry Danielle LaMonica Evan Van Buskirk <laughs> now this is the name we have I'm strongly guessing this is not a birth certificate name we have Taternuts 560 thank you Tater Nuts we have Jan- we have Jen, Jen Tater. we didn't lose tater nuts with the necrophilia talk he loves us tater nuts is further in <laughs> uh, Brianna Molina and Leslie Bracken
2: I I rearranged the order of the <laughs> names to give you all the hardest <sighs> names ah, those were and tater nuts oh, that was great I knew that you were going to love that one all right my Annabelle shout outs are uh, to Lucas Hollis Kristen Powers Joshua Garner Taylor Howard Jordan Petty Amanda Bierman, Austin Miller, Ashley Kingsford, and uh, a happy birthday to Amy O'Connor from Jason, who is in Annabelle, and a happy birthday to Rebecca from your dad, Gerald, who is also in Annabelle. Nice. Nice. And then I have five spoopy shout outs. Very nice. <laughs> oh my God. Have you guys watched the new Borat? So fucking funny. <laughs> that girl who plays his daughter she's is great. like, she's great. Uh, I hope someone casts her in a different film very soon. Yeah. I would I would follow her career.
1: Bulgarian actress, I think.
2: Yes. Uh, okay. All my spoopy shoutouts are happy birthdays. So, happy birthday to Francisco from Dwight. To Harley from Sam, your daughter. Happy birthday to Chandler from Kelly Ray. To Andrew from Charlotte and Dresden, and happy birthday to Dallas from Seth. That's it.
1: Okay. Good. Good stuff. And you wanted to say some nice things about the uh, donations.
2: Oh yeah. So I just um, oh, backstory. Just like a you know we're at the end here. So if you don't like this part, this is your chance to exit. I was just thinking back about um, how our fans here, if they're not time suckers, they mm-hmm. don't really know like how that Patreon donation situation like even came yeah. to be a thing. And I was um, wondering if you wanted to talk a little oh, sure. bit about that. I know it's like off the cuff and I'm surprising you with this, but I just thought it would be nice.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I don't remember if it started right. It didn't. When Patreon first launched, it was to cover operating costs. We didn't really have ads or on time suck needed help needed more than me needed like an employee and different things right and then once we um surpassed our operating costs then it was uh hey we're going to do this now we're going to take 20% above uh it was like 10,000 you know a month like that like to 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 give to charity right and and then now, and, and we've done that for like two years, and it's just been it's growing every month. We've given mm-hmm. to so many different kinds of charities. It's been so cool. Mm-hmm. We've given to like uh you know the uh, Equal Justice Initiative. We've given to uh, law enforcement, military. Uh, we've given to domestic violence. Uh, we, we've given to um, like, you know, helping like victims of like various storms and things. I mm-hmm. mean, really Just truly, we try to balance it out. Yes. You know. Um,
2: we've gotten to give to like some things that yeah. maybe like you wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's a fan of Time Suck who runs marathons in Boston. It's, I think it's like the mm-hmm. MR8 Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, he wrote in and said like, hey, like we're trying to raise money. And it's, yeah. you know, uh, it was started because the Richard Martin Foundation, this kid died in the Boston bombing, right. you know, or you know, uh, just last month we gave to a cool charity in St. Louis called Girls in the Know Mm -hmm. that, you know, is teaching young girls about their bodies and, I mean, how to Use yeah. a fucking tampon. Like, <laughs> right. I just remember reading it thinking, like, God, how is no one talking to them about this stuff? Yeah. Just, so it's just, just such just, a wide variety.
1: Yeah, we try to, like, really vary it up, you know, like yeah. people who need food, people who need shelter, you know. And and then just, like, you know, uh, some some charities that could be considered with everything being politicized uh, on the left. some Please. Some charities that, that are could be considered on the right. Like, we try to spread it around because right. we know we have a broad audience, yeah. and, and we want, and we know that just a lot of different people need help, and, right. and it feels so good to be able to help give it, mm-hmm. and then now, because we have the uh scared-to-death one, I, I've just blown out the operating costs, right? and now it's just 20% of everything, right. so of the
2: gross, not so, of,
1: like, the net, of, no. like, what we get. Yeah, so it's, like, it yeah. comes right
2: off the top. It's the first thing we do at the beginning yeah. of the month. The way that, like, Patreon is, it, like, takes a minute for it all to the fees and all the things to be deducted and for us to get yeah. some money in our bank accounts, and then immediately we reach out to the charity of the month, and yeah, uh, we make the donation. And I mean, $10,000 is not a small amount.
1: No. And for us and for more of like a regional charity, that's going to go a long ways. Yeah.
2: And, and we do yeah. try and think about like, can we donate to someone like, like not that the Red Cross isn't deserving. Yeah, but
1: sometimes we do national ones. Yeah, it depends.
2: But we but we tend to lean towards smaller ones True. so that, you know, hopefully the donation makes more of an impact. And mm-hmm. and just so you guys know, I mean, Dan and I. You know we both grew up without for mm-hmm. sure and um, we both I, I benefited from some charitable things in my life I'm sure you did too whether you realize it or not mm-hmm. and when oh, yeah for sure yeah and when the podcast you know when we when you started time suck and this became you know our life, we decided then that like when we started to make money, We wanted to give back immediately and so like we get it like as an individual we can't write a check for 10 grand to something but collectively as a community when we all band together we get to do this amazing thing and and that's what i was you know really wanting to point out when i was talking about how great our community is it's like Mm -hmm. we don't give a fuck who's on the left on the right in the middle i don't care who your god is like it's like we're all as you say just meat sacks Mm -hmm. trying to get through life Mm -hmm. and this is something that collectively we get to do and so For my heart, for your heart, it's just like we're so grateful that we can do this and you guys should feel good about it. Yeah,
1: it's awesome. It's awesome. I know I think about Christy uh, DeWitt, this girl I went to school with in uh, in Idaho County, this YWCA thing, and then her relaying through my mom and telling us where it's like, You know, she was able to get somebody out of a domestic abusive situation like really bad situation because she has flexibility with the donation we made that she wouldn't have through uh, government funds that don't have to be all kind of regulated. And she can just be like, nope, here's your um, here's your uh, money for your plane ticket. Here's money for this. Here's money for that. Get out. So yeah. it's awesome.
2: It's very cool. Very and cool.
1: And that's uh and that's our show today. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredath You can email us for everything else at info at scaredath Uh thanks to Logan and Kate Keith, social media. BadMagicMerch.com. Producer Sophie Evans for helping with story curation. Joe Paisley for doing the producing, directing, custom soundbed creation today. Heather Rylander for organizing the my story emails, and uh, also, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting like his um uh, the the custom soundbeds. Zach Cohen. Zach Cohen. Yeah, I gotta like put that in the template. And special thanks to intern Gwen Hay for that second tale coming from Malaysia. Yeah. Nice variation there. Uh, subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Enjoy Friday the 13th and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you want even more content uh, at Scared to Death Podcast, we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, over 10,000 members for horror lovers. Thank you to Liz Hernandez for moderating. Uh, if you don't want to hear any more ads, you, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, you can check out our Patreon account. And watch it, Conjuring 2. Uh Too much for Lindsay. I think it's, it's fucking great.
2: Okay, I I have to say...
1: I know, I just forgot we'd mention that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, we're at the end, so yeah. people can exit. I don't feel bad about going over here. I have to say, on the conjuring thing, listen, mm-hmm. yeah. I have, like, been so tired. True, that was part I've of it. I've been so sick. It's like, yeah. I still cannot taste and smell. And yeah. so, like, I tend to be a person who... Forget about hangry. Like, what is the term for someone who cries when they're hungry? Like, (laughs) like, I have a legitimate issue with, like, if I get too hungry, if I get too tired, I become like a fucking toddler. And I just cry and I become really ridiculous and sensitive. Take all of that on top of the fact that... Also,
1: it's a fucking scary
2: movie. Add in super scary movie. Halloween. The veil's very fucking thin. I was feeling very sensitive. Dan wanted to watch it and mm-hmm. like he gave me two options. I read both of the reviews and what's funny is the other movie the I rem- wretched. the wretched I remember mm-hmm. reading that review thinking This one actually seems like it's going to be like a not well done movie and I could probably get through this. And then I was like, no, Lindsay, don't be such a fucking baby like you could do. it." Like I had this whole internal dialogue. So I agree to it. I (laughs) Yeah. Cut 2
1: we're on the couch and it started with the blanket going over her face sometimes to when I finally just called it. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. And I just hit pause. It had been like a solid 15 minutes of you just under the blanket. I'm like, you can't
2: even see it. I didn't want to see it. I was just listening. It was good. But well, did you finish it?
1: I'm not going to finish it later.
2: I feel like I want to try again. If you would be so kind, I won't cry this time. Also, I mean, like after, (laughs) I mean, I had had a few drinks. It was like a bad combination (laughs) because then afterwards, just like a window into our lives. uh, After Dan was like, okay, that's it. I'm fucking turning it off. He was like an annoyed parent. He wasn't kind about it. And then I I was kind later. But yes. Later, after I okay. had a fucking emotional meltdown on our couch, I was crying about, it's so hard to be a parent. I feel so overwhelmed. And then I realized that because I haven't been eating consistently right. because of I can't taste anything and just being sick, I, I have to take my antidepressants with food. Mm-hmm. So it was, just, it was like a whole fucking the whole thing. It was a whole vortex. Because if you remember, I watched that scary movie with you not that long ago, Midsummer.
1: It wasn't that scary, though. Midsummer. Midsummer. Midsummer.
2: But uh, come, uh, I want to try again, please. Okay. But we'll give it like 20 minutes. And if I like can't pop my head out. Yeah. And, and I want to watch it a little bit earlier in the day so that I can do something mm, afterwards.
1: I knew it. I well, knew
2: it. I, baby, our basement is dark. It's dark. It doesn't have to be nighttime. Why can't we watch it at like six? And then it's a two and a half hour movie. And then that like, gives me enough time to like watch something else. Get a little bit high and pass out. Okay. I am trying to compromise.
1: Okay, then I'll watch, uh, I'll watch something later by myself in the dark. Uh, enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death.
2: Bye, guys.
1: If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace.
0: Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within. Scared to death. Imagine bold, naturally-aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. (sighs) It's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar. Extraordinary dairy. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say... I'm okay. When the truth is...
2: I don't want my problems to burden
0: anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help...